Ladies and gentlemen, the spectacular Spider-Man! Face it, Tiger. You just hit the jackpot. Otto Octavius was weak. Call me Dr. Octopus! From now on, we're poison to Peter Parker and Spider-Man. Welcome back to another episode of Spectacular Radio. I'm Zach Joyner, your friendly neighborhood webmaster of Spidey-Do.com. And the co-host of this particular program, I'm always joined by the host of the show, Mr. Greg Bashansky. Greg? Hey, everybody. It's been a long time since we recorded, hasn't it? It has. Yeah, it's been over a year. I feel like we owe some of our listeners maybe an explanation. I mean, it's been a very packed year for a lot of us. Unfortunately, Gerard cannot be here because he does not have a working computer also. And uh, just so everyone knows, he's that's not the reason we haven't been able to record. Not at all. It's not 0% Gerard's fault, but we're hoping Gerard will be back on again for a future podcast yep absolutely so what has changed in our lives since then zach uh well i became a prison guard so that's that's a big change at the vault no not the vault at uh, the raft it would, be, uh, it would be more entertaining if i was at the vault or the raft but no unfortunately not let's see i still work where i work and um I got promoted six months ago, and then I got demoted. That's lovely. It's because you're you're an a-hole. Well, um, it could be that. I'm sure that's part of the reason. No, no, what, what happened was I became part of the compliance team, which means that I'm listening to people's calls all day, grading their calls all day to help them improve their performances. Well, some people did not like the, the way I was grading their calls. Mostly people were doing a really piss-poor job of it. Because, yeah, because that means they end up losing commission. If you get a, if if your call gets a straight one hundred, you get you get evaluated twice a week. If you get two one hundreds a week, that's an extra fifty dollars in your paycheck. Well, there you go. If you get if you keep failing, you can get suspended from work. So apparently, some people who constantly failed did not like that, and so I would get harassed and threatened a lot, quite a bit. And management never did a damn thing about it. So I come into work on a Monday morning and I find my desk vandalized. Well, you know what I did? I did not go to management. I went straight to human resources. Well, it turns out management did not like that. Well, yeah. So they went and dug and found a call that I graded that I made a mistake on six weeks prior to all this. I'm sure someone stayed up late, stayed in the office late last night looking for that and use that as an excuse to demote me. Yeah, I'm sure. So yeah, that's what happened. We're calling this section, I'm bar- to borrow from my friend Cindy's Creepy Kitsch podcast, The Weekly Fuck Off. Ah, yeah, anyway. But we've got an email. Yes. Since we- last time we recorded. Yes, we do have an email, and it's from a Michael Oliver. All right, uh, Michael says, hi, guys, love the show, both Spectacular and the podcast. Greg, 
What exactly is the origin of your friendship with Greg Wiseman? How did you talk into coming on and discuss every episode in such detail? Haven't I told this story before? I thought you have, but if this is your first episode, you might as well tell it again. Yeah, that's true. It's also been a, a long time. Well, um, how did I talk into coming on to discuss every episode in detail? Well, basically, I told him, hey, we're doing Spectacular Spider-Man podcast. We'd be interested in coming on sometime for an interview. And he said, hey, I'll come on to discuss every episode with you. And that's go. pretty much how that started. But how it started before that was, I was a fan of another series that he used to do. Granted, I didn't know who he was at the time until after the show was canceled. It was in the 90s. People didn't, cartoons didn't really have their creators given that much press back then. That really started with Batman the Animated Series and Bruce Timm and um, I would like to say Alan Burnett, but you never saw the spotlight, but Paul Dini, who was a staff writer, got a lot of press for that as well and um but greg's old show i joined the fandom for that went to a couple conventions it was kind of mousy and shy and then the third one i went to i i arrived and the first thing i said i i he was the first person i saw so i went up and reintroduced myself so he finally knew my name and then after that i hosted a convention myself gave him a terrible drive back to the airport and we've been friends ever since <laughs> go listen to the to our um Sandman episode podcast, the first Sandman episode uh, from season one, if you want to hear that story. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I mean, uh, that, that that definitely go back and listen to the other episodes. Second question is, what do you think of season three of Young Justice so far? I have not watched it yet. It, it is on my to-do list. I uh, just haven't had a chance to do it yet. Um, Greg, have you watched it yet? I have, and I think it's been fantastic. Now, here's the thing, though. I know very little about DC. I did not grow up a DC reader. I mean, I've, I mean, I've read quite a bit of Batman. I've seen the Batman movies. I know some of the basics. I watch some of the other cartoons. And and I've always liked Young Justice, but it wasn't until season three that the Young Justice added that final ingredient to really become a full-time real favorite of mine. I mean, I always thought it was great, but there's shows that you think are great, and then there's shows that become favorites. They did, they did an, there was this episode in the first half of season three called Evolution, where they finally really delved into the main villain's psyche, his origins, and his motivations, Vandal Savage. And um, I'm a villain kind of guy. I, mean, I love our heroes too, but I like to know what makes a villain tick. I mean, we got a lot of that with Spectacular Spider-Man. We definitely got a lot of that in Gargoyles. I thought that for the most part, at least among the main big bads, Young Justice has been missing that to an extent. I mean, it was there, but not quite as deep as I wanted them to go, and they finally rectified that, and it was fantastic. Yeah, like I say, I just haven't had a chance to get DC Universe to watch the the season three, but it's a, it's a good show. I mean, um, I enjoyed the first two seasons when it was on Cartoon Network, but I'm glad that it got brought back for next season, and, and we go from there. Yeah, the second half starts in... July in the DC app, so hopefully, I'm sure it'll be just as good. And another another show in the DC app I have to recommend, Doom Patrol. Doom Patrol's also been fantastic. And you can read um, articles from our good friend Bertoni, um, member of our Spider Dude podcasting network. Uh, he does do freelance stuff for uh, for DC Universe. So go. So if you see stuff on Batman and stuff like that, it's uh, probably, it's a, there's a good possibility it's done by, by Josh. So, uh, the third question, final question is, what podcast do you guys listen to? What do you recommend? Well, I recommend Spectacular Radio, obviously, but I also recommend 
Clone Saga Chronicles, which is going to be ending uh, likely this year. Um, you have 10 years worth of podcasting excellence uh, that you, have, you can listen to, You've me, Greg, uh, and others. You've got uh, 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 Mayday Mondays, also on our Spidey Dude Radio Network. As well, um, I was a, I'm still a part of the uh, long-running uh, Spider-Man Crawl Space podcast. You can mention it here, Zach. It's allowed. Um, been a part of that particular show for a long time, uh, since its inception, in fact. So I always recommend that. Um, uh, if you're a fan of Superman or DC or anything like that... Um, FortressofBailey2.com with uh, Michael Bailey. I always recommend his stuff. Uh, he's got views from Longbox and from Crisis to Crisis. Um, so it's uh, those are two excellent shows. Also, Two Two Freaks. Um, those are good shows too. Well, I've guest appeared with that particular group as well. Nice. I like to second the uh, recommendation for um, CSC, especially for our Revelations episode of Revelations. Part four. I'm not going to spoil anything since this will be up before that. But that podcast was was fantastic. It's one one of the most fun, fun times I've ever had recording anything. So um, yeah, listen to CSC and listen to Mayday Mondays. The more the more of you listen to Mayday Mondays, the more we will encourage Gerard to maybe put out another episode. There you go, and leave reviews and voicemails and things along those natures. Yeah, I've got other podcasts I would like to recommend as well that are not in our network, so I'm going to shout out to some favorites I like to listen to. Um, let's see. Did he mention Batgirl the Oracle? I mean, I'm not really a Batgirl fan, but I've listened to a couple of those when they delved into other topics that I'm more familiar with, and Stella is great, although she's um, she's an associate, so maybe that's a little, so maybe that is within our network. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. There's also, I would like to recommend School of Movies, which is a terrific podcast it's run by alex and sharon shaw based in england and they review movies that they love a lot of geek movies i mean they've gone into depth on all the star wars movies lord of the rings movies every single mcu movie i mean these two are film nerds but in the best way possible they had a lord of the rings themed wedding (laughs) so well there you go and um one more i would two more i would like to recommend we hate movies, so if you like listening to Gerard and I, these are four angry New Yorkers who tear into really bad movies. It's really fun. It's got a really sharp sense of humor, language warnings. I mean, there's a cultural difference between Zach and I. I'm an angry New Yorker. He's a, I'm not going to say he's an angry Texan, but he's a polite, gentlemanly Texan. There you go. And finally, one more, Whelm, the Young Justice podcast. That podcast does for Young Justice what we do for Spectacular Spider-Man. Actually, I've been, I started listening to them a few months ago, and they've gone into topics I didn't even, that I never even would have imagined. They bring in a linguistics expert at one point to talk about how character, how about different dialogue can establish character, the different ways characters speak, and at first, and that's nowhere, and that's much more interesting than it sounds. That sounds, I found that to be a fascinating discussion, especially as a writer, so that was that would never have occurred to me to do on this show, and I would say that to to my own show's detriment in some ways because there's all sorts of new. I mean, I'm discovering all these new formats now that I'm listening to other podcast formats that I hope to to maybe borrow for future podcasts going forward. And um, I remember one point 
when I was talking about the podcast I'm going to do next, Zach said, suggested the Young Justice podcast. Well, I would definitely say no, because there's no way in hell we can do it better than these people are doing it. So those are my big men. recommends. School. We have we have plans beyond this show and beyond CSC, but we just want to get through these two shows first. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and also someone who I'm planning on doing another podcast with does not want me to announce just yet. So there you go. More to come. More to come. Way, way more to come. It's just the beginning, folks. And now, um, I think we're going to delve into our episode. So. Identity Crisis, the end of the second Venom arc. And I've got a a summary right here to read, so please bear with me. God, I'm so used to saying that at work. I hate saying it. All right. In the aftermath of Venom announcing Peter's identity as Spider-Man, Jameson orders Ned Lee to interview everyone Spider-Man or Peter has ever contacted. Robbie sends Peter home, telling Jameson he thinks Peter is just a kid, but revealing the next day's front page headline, if it turns out to be the case, Peter Parker is Spider-Man. The following day, Harry tells Peter that Ned interviewed his father, while Flash continues to flirt with Shashan and unsuccessfully attempts to convince Mr. Devereaux to give him a part in the play. Captain Stacy conducts a seminar on identity theft, and Ned interviews the Connors, who initially laugh until they realize that it being true would explain numerous instances and ultimately refuse to comment on the matter. At ESU's lab, Eddie Brock returns, much to the Connors and Gwen's delight, and Peter's disgust. Eddie accepts Martha's offer of his old job back, and in a private discussion with Peter, laments that the Beagle is taking their time with the scoop. Peter rebukes Eddie and leaves with Gwen to meet Harry and Liz at a diner, only to be confronted by a horde of paparazzi. They hide in the heart-shaped sculpture, but the romantic moment is interrupted by Harry calling Gwen to inform her that he and Liz are waiting for them. Peter opts to pass on lunch, and later that evening, it costs Eddie as Spider-Man. He asks Eddie if he realizes he's putting everyone in danger, but Eddie, transforming the Venom, sneers that he can't wait to watch Peter's friends and family turn against him. They fight, but Venom defeats Spidey and pins him to the ground in front of the paparazzi. Spidey breaks free, but Venom taunts him, asking the crowd that if he wasn't Spider-Man, he wouldn't be so disinclined to show his face. Spidey goads Venom into punching him hard enough to knock him onto ESU's roof, enabling him to escape. At Midtown High, Peter glumly contends with the speculation. While Eddie seals a vial of gene cleanser from the Connors' lab, Flash is interviewed by Ned and tells him that anyone can dress up as Spidey, and to prove his point, he puts on a spare Spidey costume. However, he is spotted by a pair of thugs who decide to take advantage of Spidey's weakness. Peter decides to admit the truth, arriving in time to save Flash from the thugs. Venom attacks him, webbing him to a car, and announcing his intent to depower Peter after unmasking him, leaving him unable to protect himself or his loved ones from the inevitable retribution. Venom pulls off Spidey's mask, but Peter flips the car over to keep his face hidden and snatches his mask back. The brawl continues into the school, and Venom pins him to the wall of the science lab. Gwen yells at Venom to stop, distracting him long enough for Spider-Man to break free. Acid splashing on the symbiote and then exploding after being ignited weakens Venom long enough for Peter to get a few hits in, grabbing a baseball bat and slamming it against the locker. Enraged, Venom chases Spider-Man across the school and into the gym's locker room, where Flash is sulking after his failed attempt to convince the reporters Peter isn't Spidey. Flash distracts Venom long enough for Spidey to swipe the gene cleanser and stuff it down the symbiote's maw. As the symbiote peels away from him and oozes down a drain into the sewers, Eddie 
desperately begs Spidey to help him get it back. Peter tells his former friend he can finally let go of his hatred, but Eddie glumly states that the symbiote only loved him for his hatred. As he is carted away in a stretcher, Eddie swears that he will always be venom and that once the symbiote returns to him, they will destroy Spider-Man once and for all. Mr. Devereaux approaches Flash and tells him that after witnessing Flash's attempt at Spidey, he reconsidered and decided to cast him as Nick Bottom. And Flash attempts to ask Shashan for some private rehearsal time. She tells him she, she has the part nailed. Basically, she's calling him an ass. When Miles Warren notices the stolen vial of gene cleanser, he announces that due to the Connor's shoddy security record, he will request that manager of the lab turned over to himself, ignoring Martha's protests. At the Daily Beagle, Ned concludes that Peter isn't Spidey, and Peter silently thanks Flash. Peter Riley comments in the Daily Beagle's morning paper, which proclaims his innocence, but that Spidey is still at large while the symbiote slinks away through the stores. At the criminology seminar, Captain Sixty states how he initially saw Spidey's heroics as nothing more than vigilantism, yet the wall crawler's threatened he was to be revealed, and that everyone he ever cared about would be in constant danger, concluding that rather than using the mask to hide, Spidey is using it to protect those he cares for. As in Peter, the only student in the class, if he agrees, Captain Stacy leaves, leaving Peter to wonder if he suspects Spidey's true identity. And I thought this was a pretty great episode. What did you think, Zach? Yeah, look, I thought this was a episode that really um, delves into uh, the personal relationship between Venom and, and Spider-Man. And the codependency that that Flash had, or Flash uh, Eddie has for the symbiote. symbiote. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, and how addicting it is to be Venom, um, and their hatred for Peter. Uh, I, I think it's you know it's a it's a it's a very solid episode, very action packed. Um, they. Uh, have a lot of action in this episode. There's not a whole lot of as, as many character moments as there is. This is just, you know, a, a brawl, uh, very beautifully animated. Um, we do get a little bit of like Mark Raxon having a crush on Mary Jane, things along that nature. Flash, you know, getting in part of the school play. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's Mark Allen in this universe. Yeah. Yeah. Mark Raxon, uh, molten man. So, um, like I say, I think, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's a, a fitting conclusion to this, to this arc with Venom. Um, and yes, Eddie vows revenge, but it really, um, kind of just, uh, it was sad. Yeah. It's, it's a very sad moment. I mean, for me, the moment that says it all is when Eddie just begs Spidey to help him get the symbiote back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's one of those things where, you know, he, he... The personal nature of Venom is what makes Venom work. It's why I didn't like the Venom movie. I never saw it. Um, the Venom movie was overly CGI'd. Um, it was overly just, uh, it just really wasn't, that wasn't that good. Um, it was kind of one of those so bad it's good movies. Um, but, uh, like I say, I think that, um, it really highlighted 
this episode really highlights how much of a threat Venom is because of his ties to Peter. Um, we've talked about that at nauseum, but I think this show does a better job than every other show has up to this point in show and highlighting the personal nature of, of their situation and um, how much of a, how much everybody that Peter's in danger, you know, Peter that's around Peter is in danger. Uh, I also love how we're getting organically the Captain Stacy um, situation being revealed. But Captain Stacy, you know, is kind of, it's always been kind of implied he knows more than he lets on. Um, but I, you know, I like the whole use of Peter Parker, you know, as Spider-Man being unmasked. Um, we saw that kind of effectively in the 90s show, but really done very well here in how it would affect uh, somebody like Peter. And it makes sense, even like given in the MCU, um, how much of a, you know, popular character Spider-Man is. If, you know, Peter Parker were to have his identity revealed as a high schooler, how much that would change his world. Uh huh. Indeed, indeed. I mean, there's just so much going on in this episode. I mean, you. I mean, I'm think. I mean, I've said before. And I'm gonna say this now also because George's not here to say it either. I never liked Venom in the comics. I never, and and most other adaptations. One of my least favorite Spider-Man villains. This is one of the only versions of Venom that has ever worked for me. Now I've never seen the the Venom in the in the movie from last fall. I mean, I've heard the movie was really bad, but I was... But you know well, what? They're going to make a sequel. It made a lot of money. And, it made a ton of money, and it's... it's Yeah. And But I have seen Venom and I saw Venom in Spider-Man 3, which... Um, now, I like Topher Grace as an actor. I mean, hey, the guy recently put on... Played a really creepy David Duke. I mean, but... um, But he was just the wrong casting for that particular character. I mean... I know they were going for an evil Peter Parker, but I just don't feel like that, like, like that characterization worked. And what else is Venom? I mean, I've seen Venom in video games, and he's usually fine in video games. I, the first PlayStation One game springs to mind. That's a really fun game. Yeah. And prior, I, and he was voiced by Darren Norris. The show's Jameson in that video game. Yeah, they did. They did a good job. Yeah, and before, and then prior to that, he had. Uh, that show where they go to counter unlimited, which show, I, yeah, he sucked there. But to be honest, everything sucked there. Yeah, well, yeah, everything sucked. I mean, who cares about the high evolutionary? We do on Clone Slayer Chronicles. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, care is too strong a word. We definitely um, have. We definitely have opinions on the high evolutionary, and then. Prior to that, he was in the 90s show, and yeah, the Alien costume saga was fun. I mean, I thought the two-parter they did in season three with Carnage was weird. But actually, looking back at the 90s show, I'm kind of amazed that Venom was used so little, considering that was the height of his popularity. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, but even in, in both the 90s show and this show... They both made it a personal um, vendetta. Yeah. And 
far better than what we saw in the comics. The comics was kind of just like, he was just kind of a character out of left field. He was, so. Eddie was a complete cipher in the comics. I mean, that's just a lot of the fact that the original plan, I believe that Michelinie said was they were going to kill Eddie Brock off and then have the symbiote to move from host to host to host. And which Marvel later did for a while in the, 2000s before Flash got the symbiote and then Eddie ultimately got it again. And then isn't Eddie a full time superhero now? Pretty much. He's an anti hero, but he's still a superhero. So the 90s are back. Yeah. Okay. Well, as soon as they announced, Sony announced the movie, that was inevitable. And actually, they've retconned a lot of Eddie's motivations as to being Venom. Well, they've been doing that since day one. Yeah. Go and read J.R. Fettinger's uh, Venom essay on SpideyKickSpot.com for a long timeline of that. Yeah. So, I, like I say, I mean, do we want to give a grade to this one? Or give, uh, your, give, me, give me your thoughts first before uh, before we do that. Well, there's a lot going on in this episode. I'm, and I, I said this to Greg when we did the uh, interview, but it amuses me so much they brought in Alan Rakins as Norman Osborn just to say the word no. He got paid a full salary for that. Yeah. Which um, I believe at the time was, I don't know, what, I'm sure, I hope it's more today, but I believe at the time it was for $4,000 for a four-hour voiceover session. According to SAG rules, I believe scale was four, was four grand. So Alan Rakins got paid $2,000 a letter. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. Man, I... Man, I should have gone to acting classes and become a voice actor. I know, I know people who've done it and who've done it really well. I mean, my a friend of mine, my old friend Zero, who's now Halo on Young Justice. I knew her before she got famous and became an actress. Well, there you go. Let's see. The I think the action sequence in the episode is terrific. I mean, the choreography, the uh, the action, the but uh, the choreography was terrific. The um, all the little moves. I mean, the, the, I mean, Venom is a villain. He works effectively as a villain. I mean, this is not a guy who cares about saving innocent people, as shown when he knocks that helicopter out of the sky. Yeah. And I remember people when this episode came out complaining, Venom never hurts innocent people, and of course they would ignore me when I would post panels from the McFarlane comics of Venom doing exactly that. He would have lament that, you know. Yeah, he would lament. That makes it all better. Yeah, but that, I mean, he still would do it. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just, it got worse and worse as it went on by the time. Um, although it looks like they were setting the stage for Carnage to show up because we saw Cletus Cassidy at Ravencroft during the Christmas episode. Eddie was on his way to Ravencroft. The symbiote was still loose. I mean,. The pieces are in place. Yeah. I, I'll let you take this one, Miles Warren being Miles Warren. Well, yeah, I mean, Miles Warren's a dick, especially in this show. So, I mean, I have no issue with him being a jerk. Oh, wait till his next appearance. <laughs> Which I think is an Old Man episode. And you mentioned Old Man. I mean, some I know some curious might be upset that they're calling him Mark Allen instead of Mark Raxton in this. But let's be honest, him being related to Liz at all was a 
was a retcon in the original comics. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it was a stretch. He's his stepbrother. Yeah, I mean, that, that was an afterthought. I mean, so I, I don't care what his last name is, honestly. I mean, as long I think the fact that he's related to Liz is one of the most important aspects of the character, and they've got that in there. And we'll see, definitely see more of that as the season pans out. And uh, yeah. is this his first time in any adaptation? I think it is. No, it's not his first time. He was in the 90s show. Molten Man was in the 90s show? Oh, no, no, Molten Man was not. No, you're right. Um, He might have been in the 60s, but I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, let me Google. I'm going to find that. Let me see what I can find out. Granted, I wouldn't say he's a very popular character. He's To this day, he still doesn't have a Marvel Legend figure. Not yet. I mean, we are getting a doppelganger. Yeah, Scream got an action figure before he did. Well, that's because she's a symbiote, and symbiotes are cute, man. Cute. Dude, 90s. Uh, no, this was the first time Mark Allen slash Molten Man ever appeared in an adaptation. Apparently, he was also in uh, Ultimate Spider-Man Web Warriors, voiced by James Arnold Taylor, who voices Harry Osborne on this show. Here, he's played by Eric Lopez, who plays Blue Beetle on Young Justice, also. This is the thing you'll notice. Greg likes to use the same people. If he likes you and he thinks you're talented, he'll keep using you as much as he can. There you go. So so just earn your talent there, folks, and then you might get, you know, you might work with Greg. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what, there's so, what else is going on in this episode? I know, so, so were you confused at all by the resolution that Peter was, quote-unquote, was in Spider-Man? Because I remember when this episode was new, a lot of people were. They didn't quite get that there was basically a game of telephone and it started at the Halloween ball when Peter was walking around without his mask on and then somehow Venom heard it. And Yeah, I mean, that, yeah. I mean, this is a show that trusts its audience and trusts that you've been paying attention. There you go. As a put. And which is one of the things I like about this show and Greg's other shows. It doesn't talk down to the audience. Have you introduced your daughter to it yet? Not yet. Um, but she's she's a little young, so... Yeah. How old is she now? She will be four in May. Oh my god, where does the time go? Where, you know, it feels like just yesterday. I was just saying this the other day. Eh? Someone pointed out to me that people were complaining about the... For about the uh, three-hour run on Avengers Endgame, and I'm saying, huh, I saw all three Lord of the Rings movies in theaters, and someone said, these people probably didn't see them. I'm like, what do you mean? They were the biggest movies? And I said, well, they're probably younger, and then I realized those movies came out almost 20 years ago. Yep. Feels like yep. a few months ago. Yep. True story. True story, but yeah. And um, let's see. So, um time goes by. I mean, this show is over a decade old now, 11 years old. I mean, I still remember the premiere like it was yesterday. True story. And what what else went on in this episode? I mean, yeah, it's, it was mostly the action sequence, but what do you think of all the scenes where where people were being interviewed about Peter being Spider-Man? Some of them were interesting. Yeah, I, I, I liked the, the setup and the use of, of Ned as an investigative reporter. Um, and you know, interviewing various people about being him being Spider-Man, uh, I I think it's a I, I think it's an effective way of doing things, and I think that um, 
it was a good way to get the supporting cast involved, which was always, which is always a good thing for me. Yeah. Do you think the Connors have have it all figured out yet? Um, it's possible. Um, I think that they would, uh, out of everybody that is involved with this universe, they would should be amongst the first to quote figure it out. Yeah. Norman's response is very interesting, but I feel like we should save discussion on that for Final Curtain. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, obviously hardly any of the kids believed it. I mean, although granted none of the kids were interviewed, although I do wonder how many, I mean, I'm still in the camp that MJ is already aware, but she was barely, I don't think she was in the episode at all, come to think of it. No, she was in there for the Mark Rack, uh, the Mark Allen making googly eyes at Mark. Uh-huh. And then you've got, but yeah, I like the use of Ned Lee and, oh, Ned, asking out Betty Brandt, dude, what are you doing? What are you doing? And for more on that, yeah, we're here's, gonna... <laughs> here's, here's Joshua Lambertoni to tell you a little bit about the, that their history. Yeah, there he is. He's coming in on an umbrella <laughs> like Mary Poppins. <laughs> Help me, I fell out of a plane and there's no parachute. I don't know. Uh, how the fuck am I going to respond to that? <laughs> I guess you can say I'm far from home. Hey, hey you're not getting sucked into one at the end of that Simpsons episode. Be grateful. <laughs> I have no clue how I'm supposed to respond to this umbrella thing. Or, uh, I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. <laughs> What does that have to do with uh, Ned and Betty? Absolutely nothing and absolutely everything. Indeed. All right. (laughs) Audience, listeners, spectacular fans, we have a very special guest to talk to us about where Betty and Ned are likely to go from here. Are likely to go from here. Had Spectacular Spider-Man got into season 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, in a perfect world where, you know, uh, (laughs) we're we're not all screwed up as a country and everything, you know, and Spectacular Spider-Man DVDs are flying off the shelves. Um, It's a perfect world for everyone, except for Ned Leeds, because uh, what is up ahead for Ned Leeds? Well, before Ned Leeds was known for basically being like a poor man's version of Gonke in the uh, Spider-Man movies, all he really was in the comics was like um, Betty Brandt's love interest slash Peter Parker's rival and the reporter for the Daily Bugle when there was no Ben Urich around because Ben Urich hadn't really been invented yet. So if you knew the Daily Bugle reporter for a story, they used Ned Leeds. Um, his relationship with Betty was what... A, a very, I'd call it a passive-aggressive tug-of-war, but to call it a tug-of-war would mean that, like, Ned had the advantage at one point or another. Really, it's like, he was very clearly Betty's second choice, but either Ned didn't get the hint or Ned had his own screwed-up issues because, again, because his whole identity was as Betty's paramour and Peter's rival, we didn't really get into his background, so I don't know if he has issues with women or whatever, but... For starters, you know, Betty's dating Ned, you know, in the Lee Dicko run because to kind of get Peter's attention. And Ned goes on his uh, trip to Europe um, and has Peter drive uh, him and Betty to the airport to say goodbye in a weird way. So he already knows that he's sharing Betty with this other person. 
he gets back from Europe, you know, from his assignment. He proposes to Betty and she says, I have to think about it. Let me ask Peter, which is a, not what you want. Someone that you're asking to marry you, you say. And that really should have spelled trouble for what was ahead. But Ned's like, well, let's see where this goes. So he waited for an answer and he waited. And all the time, Betty is like fawning over Peter while Ned's waiting for his answer. Then Betty runs away from home and doesn't tell Ned or Peter or anyone where she's going. She's gone. So Ned's like, okay, what the heck? Uh, she comes back in the Lee Ramita run and, uh, Ned is okay. And they, uh, in fact, when she comes back and Ned sees her again, she's having lunch with Peter, the guy that, you know, he, said that she said that she had to check with on the proposal but they're they're done so her and ned walk off together and a few issues later you know he finally accepts her marriage proposal and it took them a while to actually get married um which <laughs> i don't know what the holdup was maybe betty was hoping that peter would come back or whatever Either way, they get married and Jonah sends them on a honeymoon, a working honeymoon in Paris, like an extended assignment. And while Ned is, you know, on assignment on their honeymoon, Betty decides that Paris is kind of boring and not romantic and being married to Ned sucks. So she takes off and doesn't tell Ned. This is in the comics. Like she literally says, oh, I haven't told Ned where I've gone. So she takes off, leaves her honeymoon with Ned. And kind of breaks into Peter's apartment to say, hey, let's restart things. So Ned leaves his job slash honeymoon that he's on alone to track Betty down and say, what the heck? And she's like, oh, yeah, I, th I think Peter's totally awesome. So Ned's like, can you, like, please tell my wife that you never want to see her again? So Peter does that. Betty runs off crying. And uh, apparently uh, the next time you see the two of them. It's revealed that, like, they had gone the couple's counseling and they're giving it another try. But, you know, she couldn't really – she wasn't really interested in you during the proposal. She wasn't really interested in you during the honeymoon. So I don't know how round two of the marriage is going to work. But, you know, uh, when she shows back up during the Nothing Can Stop the Juggernaut arc, she says, Ned and I are going to be married for a very, very long time. And I think it's something like uh, 50 or 40 issues before she's dating Flash Thompson, because uh, she says that Ned is at work too much, you know, work the same job that she has at the Daily Bugle, where, like, they would theoretically be seeing each other all the time, but that's not enough for Betty. It's not that Ned is, like, drinking or he's, like, this or that. It's, it's like, and later there was some comics of Ned yelling at her, but that was after the whole, like, Flash thing. So, like, he wasn't abusive at that point. He wasn't anything. Betty's just, like... Well, this thing with Peter didn't work out any of the five times I cheated on Ned. So Betty, you know, has an affair with Flash Thompson and does a very bad job of hiding it. Makes out with him in a football field. Um, Spectacular Spider-Man issue 100. And uh, when Flash is framed for being the Hobgoblin, which at one point, like, it was Ned that was behind that. But then um, they retconned it that it was Kingsley was the Hobgoblin. Betty's like, oh, the man I love is in jail. So one of my favorite scenes is uh, Amazing Spider-Man 280. Ned is finally like, you know what? This marriage sucks. <laughs> my wife is cheating on me all the time. I'm leaving. 
And as he's like leaving, Betty's like, where are you going? And he's like, Betty, your boyfriend's in jail and you still picked him over me. What the heck? Of course I'm leaving you. Tell you what, look me in the eyes and tell me that you love me. And she like looks down, kind of like, you know, gets quiet. He's like, yeah, that's what I thought. Takes off. Um, so really, really not a happy marriage. And then it was, it, it's later revealed, um, that Ned is being brainwashed by Roderick Kingsley at this time to be the hobgoblin. So he, he acts like a jerk to Betty at the office. He yells at her about, you know, like, ha ha, your boyfriend's in jail. Ha ha, you suck. Um, and as being set up as the hobgoblin, he's murdered in Europe by the foreigners men. And, uh, basically <laughs> once he's dead, you know, there's a little bit of a grieving period, for Betty, and by a little bit, I mean she and Flash Thompson immediately resume dating one another. And, uh, like, there's issues where she's crying about her dead husband, but she's crying about it in the arms of her boyfriend Flash. So, that's, um, if that's the legacy that Ned Lee wants, you know, of spectacular Spider Man fame, um, you know, good luck. He might, he might be better off as Gonke Light, although, uh, I don't even think Gonke was invented when Spectacular Spider-Man, the cartoon, came out. Well, I don't believe um, so either. Yeah, no, I'm fat. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure he was not. So, man, well, what, what another world ago that was. Indeed. So, quick so, question: Was any of their marital problems Roderick Kingsley's fault? Really? I mean, towards the end-ish, like, but it's like there was already problems. He just basically made more problems but i mean the brainwashing was happening like after the affair started like betty was already cheating with flash thompson like whether ned was going to be brainwashed or not and you know betty leaving on the honeymoon and you know trying to get with peter i wouldn't really blame that on roger kingsley since that was like years before the hobgoblin yeah I mean, and in fact, like if if I really wanted to be mean, and I would have been mean, I would have been meaner about this. Like six years ago, I would have said that, like, had Betty been a better wife, she would have known that her husband was brainwashed and done something about it. Because, like, remember when Superior Spider-Man was happening, people like Mary Jane should know that it's really Doctor Octopus. So, like, we're gonna say that Betty should be like Betty should know that her husband's being like a brainwashed robot. But I mean, I'll, I'll. I'll I'll give her a pass on that one because it's really hard to know when your friends are brainwashed. Usually we just think our friends are being jerks. Indeed, indeed. So I'm thinking I've reread Hobgoblin Lives not too long ago. I love that arc. And Betty blames all of her problems on Roderick Kingsley. Yeah, there's a part where she says like, oh no, you mean all those problems between Ned, me, and Flash Thompson? (laughs) If I was Roderick, I'd be like, what? No, I didn't brainwash you and Flash to have sex. You totally did that on your own. Like, <laughs> and then like at the beginning of Hobgoblin Live, she has a dream about like when Ned is leaving her in the taxi and like she's like, like look me in the eyes and say you love me. But in it, like Ned's like a giant and he's like chasing her and he's like all scary. And it's like, that is not how the scene went down at all, Betty. Like, <laughs> Well, she, well, what happened and what she's convinced herself of, I mean, yeah, Betty, well, 
Betty on Spectacular seems to be a little bit nicer, but we spent so little time with her. Who knows? She might have this dark side behind closed doors. Yeah, I'm sure in season five they would have had her, like, in Peter's bedroom, like, Peter Parker, I've come for you. <laughs> I've left my honeymoon. And then Gwen I'm only walks... 17 in this season! Yikes! Or, like, then... however old he would have been. <laughs> and then Gwen walks in. <laughs> Aunt May, that would have been the even more awkward one. <laughs> Peter, how could you? Like, Aunt what? May, I swear. Hey, hey, you, were Aunt... a, you were a hooker? Hey, Aunt May's been trying to break tried to break Peter up. Well, she did, did it successfully on his show, and as I recall, she spent a lot of time trying to break Peter and Betty up in the Lee Dicko run. Yeah, it was really weird, and, like, as much as, like, Betty's, like, messed up, like, that was kind of two-faced of Aunt May, because she would totally, like, hang out with Betty, have tea with Betty, but then when Betty would leave the room, she's like, hey, Peter, you totally have to bang this Mary Jane chick. <laughs> Anyway, I want to thank you very much for the history lesson, Mr. Bertoni, and uh, Ned, courage. Courage. (laughs) And now I will fly back away on my umbrella, for I will be far from home, 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 home. Goodbye, Sherry Bobbins. Thanks for everything. So long, Superman. Do you think we'll ever see her again? I'm sure we will, honey. I'm sure we will. Overall, I'm I think this episode I would give the episode and I'm gonna give it a solid A. I think it's the best thing with Venom ever made. I won't say it's the best thing with Venom ever made, but it's certainly up there amongst Amongst, I mean, if you rank this alongside, say, the Alien costume part three, I'm not going to blame you either, so. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly one of the best. I'll I'll say it's one of the best. I don't think it's the the best, but it's one of the best. Yeah, what else is there? Because, again, I'm not really a big fan of Venom. Well, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, Alien costume part three is, is iconic, so I can't really fault him for that and go from there, but... Yeah, I'm trying to think of his other appearances. I don't think his, I don't think his appearances in the Carnage two-parter in Season 3 of the 90s show were as good as the Alien Costume Part 3, but... Yeah. I mean, there was that romance with Ashley Kafka that kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, Ashley, you did the thing you're not supposed to do. You fell in love with your patient. Who are you, Harley Quinn? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Now I kind of want to see Ashley Kafka in a Harley Quinn-esque Venom costume that she made from at home. Someone out there, if you're listening, please draw this for me. Anyway, nevertheless, I think that um, it's a really solid episode, very action-packed, and one of the better better action-paced episodes that we've seen on the show. Indeed. Indeed, the action sequence is the star of this episode, and which is um, weird for me because I, I like action as much as anybody, but I'm also more of a story and character kind of guy. Yeah. Which, and which is one of the reasons why I know a lot of people didn't like it, but that sequence with um, which is Sean and Flash, basically calling Flash an ass, amuses me. I mean, if you 
I, I, I'm wondering how many people in the audience understand what is going on when she says that you're playing Nick Bottom. You've got this part nailed because Nick Bottom's head is an ass. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's for theater geeks like me and Greg. <laughs> there you go. Have you ever done any high? Before we go on that note, have you ever done any high school theater, Zach? I did. I was in. I was in. Um, I was Vince Fontaine in Greece. Oh, cool! I uh, I can't act, but I was an extra in my high school's production of Cabaret, and um, which is funny considering I'm, I'm half Jewish. I although I didn't mind it as far as I'm concerned, I got to play a villain. I was sitting, I was an extra on stage wearing a Nazi costume with a swastika on my arm. <laughs> Nine, nine, and I got to punch out um the lead, help punch out the lead at one point. That's pretty much all I did, and the lead was played by someone I didn't like, so that was fun. Also, he and I are fun are fine now, but um back then not so much because it's high school. Well, the weirdest part of that evening was earlier we didn't have enough bottled water for the actors, so they sent a couple of us extras down to CVS to get some bottled water, and we were walking in there in costume, and we almost forgot that we had swastikas on. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, I'll probably tell the story again when we get closer to the theater episodes, but um, anyway, thank you all for listening. We'll be back soon with another interview with Greg Wiseman, and hopefully another guest, and Zach and I will be back also with, um, the, with the next episode of the series, Accomplices. But right now, Let's take a bet. We are recording this on April twentieth. How we've got we've got Endgame coming out in less than a week, and we've got the Battle of Winterfell coming out a couple days after that. So, how many Starks are going to be alive in eight days? None of them. They're all going to be dead. I'll take you up on that bet. All right. See you soon. Same spectacular time. Same spectacular channel. I just have two questions for you, Betty. Do you think Peter Parker is Spider-Man? And would you go out with me Saturday night?